1: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever, and with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next
0: adventure on Fishing Booker. From the palmetto swamps to the piney woods to the oak
2: flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast.
3: You're listening to the Louisiana Bow Hunter Podcast presented by Scree Gear. And it's the middle of November. And <clears throat> as my kids remind me pretty much on a daily basis, we're a week away from Thanksgiving break. And um, that's not only a busy time during deer season, but it's also the week before Black Friday. And as everyone knows, Black Friday online shopping deals are a very big deal and Scree has their annual Black Friday sale going on the 23rd through the 30th 65% or up to 65% off site wide and the cooler thing is some of the bonus perks that they're doing during the Black Friday sale you'll get free shipping on all orders you'll get a 5% credit of your total spend so when you make a purchase you will get a follow up email with a basically an e gift card equaling five percent of however much you just spent towards another purchase and if you spend over five hundred dollars you'll get a free pair of the accelerator merino socks and the ibex merino neck gaiter if you spend over a thousand you'll get a pair of the merino velocity gloves a merino balaclava and a timber hitch belt as kind of a spending gift for black friday so it's a big sale going on and um Like I said, I know a lot of people are very familiar with saving a lot during this time of the year with Black Friday and Cyber Monday and all that, and I'm sure we'll be telling you about Cyber Monday deals coming up soon with that too. But um, if you're looking to get some early shopping for holidays done or if you're just looking, we've had a little bit of cold weather in our area. If you decided you need a a few more pieces of gear for hunting season, um, you can save big with the Black Friday sale coming up. And shop online. Follow them everywhere. Find out about the gear: YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, all those all those outlets. Find out all you need to know about the gear, and then shop online at screegear.com Um, I guess first thing to mention here is we're 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 late as far as our normal schedule for people that are um used to following and listening to us on a schedule, but we're here. Levi and Colin are here with me. Say hello. Hello. What's
1: going on, guys?
3: Um, We're late because Colin and I just got back from our trip to Kansas. We got back at the end of last week, and we were kind of traveling on Thursday and just couldn't get it all lined up for a Friday pod. So you're going to get two this week, Monday and Friday. And um, I would like to say that we were really busy – getting deer out of the woods and (laughs) all of that kind of thing and so we just didn't out
1: of the area we were hunting yeah
3: just didn't have time to do a podcast because we were so covered up in deer and and filling tags and that's not what happened it actually is probably more of the grinding it out slash just frustrated and not in the mood is really more of the uh the reason why we didn't get one uh recorded last week but um something that's kind of interesting i, I think uh, that that we can touch on is i think that primarily the problem that we had on our hunt was weather patterns were really bad for um for november in the midwest we we hunted seven days did we hunt seven or eight days either way we seven or eight days and i think maybe one of those days and then one morning after the one good day did we have temperatures and weather that was even remotely and it wasn't great i mean it wasn't i mean it was like 40 degrees
1: yeah we saw 40 like once
3: And the majority of the rest of the time, it was in the 70s, even bumping 80 during the day, and the wind blew out of the south all but one day that we were there. Even on the cold day, it blew out of the south. And it was blowing 15 to 25 the majority of the time. We had really tough conditions, and, you know, it's not often that you can hunt November the 2nd through the 10th or the ninth in Kansas, and not really see any rut activity. Uh, I, I mean, we saw one big buck one day. We 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 literally only saw one, you know, rack buck. I mean, we saw a couple of little small, not even basket racks, just a little small fork horn, four six points. But rack buck, I'm gonna say like three years old or older. We only saw one, and it was a giant it was a really big deer and it was kind of nudging the doe around but it was more like he came out into a bean field last 30 minutes of light there was a doe out there so he went over there and bumped around a little bit he wasn't he wasn't you know getting after it and we didn't see the scraping activity was just hit or miss there'd be a fresh scrape here and there um we didn't see bucks cruising we didn't see deer responding to call we didn't see anything that you normally see and i I you know they had a tremendous drought this year in kansas but it rained three of the days we were there and um, they've gotten a little bit of rain the week before so the drought the conditions had kind of been taken care of i guess um i don't know if an entire spring and summer of drought had changed things on the normal calendar so to speak um or how much it was just simply the weather, but uh it was it was tough hunting, and there's not really a lot of stories to tell from that, but I do think it 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 kind of lends itself to a conversation for louisiana in in that we're actually uh, we're having really good weather in my opinion y'all agree
1: yeah definitely
3: i mean compared to a a number of hunting seasons that i I can think of in the past, I mean, it was 33 degrees here this morning, and it's going to be cool all week. I don't know what it was like while we were gone, but we had a lot of cool days in October, cooler than average days in October. And um, uh, cooler weather happening now in early to mid-November, cooler than, than normal. I mean, I think I'm seeing lows in the 30s four or five times this week and that's we don't normally get that and i keep kind of crossing my fingers hoping that i'm not going to pull the weather back up and see that it's drastic like you like you all right, you've had enough now back to normal but um <laughs> i'm i'm curious Levi, what are you seeing are you seeing different deer deer movement patterns Uh, You, Colin, and Levi both, I mean, are you seeing different deer movement patterns for this time of the year, given the weather that we're having? The hunt is over for the right insurance carrier for all of your needs. Whether it's your personal, commercial, or agricultural needs, Jake Slocum at American National will have you covered. With over a decade of experience and multiple offices across the state, he'll take care of all your needs. Whether it's auto, home, life, business, or farm, Jake Slocum at American National has you covered. Call or text three one eight two five five zero zero nine six today for a free assessment. Jake Slocum, American National Insurance, more than just your insurance provider.
4: Um, I wouldn't say, like, from on a yearly year to year basis, no. But they did move really, really well uh, this weekend. I saw a lot of deer. Uh, I saw eight does and yearlings uh saturday morning and saturday afternoon i saw eight does in yearlings different different spot and had a spike kind of chasing them around and i mean he was chasing them around but in our part of the country that's super early and those does were pretty much looking at him like what the hell are you doing Mm -hmm. (laughs) i guess he got the cold snap and he's was, he's was ready to go so uh um i did get a picture of a shooter in daylight saturday afternoon too at, a, at another spot so it was a it was a really good weekend i said we saw deer all weekend on our place. so uh
3: it's funny you said i saw my my son and i went hunt this morning and we saw a spike and uh i i I, I didn't put much thought to it, but in, in context of this conversation, he acted like he was cruising, like his, his body language and just the way he moved through, we, we were just in a little corner of hardwoods between two, two thick pine thickets, and he came out of one and cruised down through where we were, and off in, uh, I, I don't really know where he went, but I'm assuming off into the other, um. But he kind of had that demeanor about him, and uh, but at the same time, I've got a, a little group of punk teenagers that it's about four or five of them. Sometimes it's four, sometimes it's five, and they're all like little two and a half year old, four points, five points, and stuff like that. And they're still running together. <laughs> um, I, I've gotten their picture. I think I got their picture Thursday night, and several times last week. And they're all still running together. Now we where I'm at, we typically have some rut activity around Thanksgiving. That's only two weeks away. Um so I don't know what I
4: saw uh I had two pictures I had pictures of two shooters. One of the ones that I got Saturday afternoon, I guess it was about four thirty when he came out when I got a picture of him. Uh the weekend before last on Saturday. Had two shooters on the same camera, and I think one of the ones I got a picture of this weekend. It's one of those deer. He's a little bit further away from the camera. I couldn't really tell, but uh, they were definitely together. Like one back came back out. At, like yeah, one came out and was kind of out in front of the camera, just milling around on some acorns right there for you know four or five minutes, and then the other one. Came it came in same direction, so they obviously kind of came from the same spot. So,
1: yeah, I'm, I mean, I don't, I'm not seeing any like rut activity with this weather. What I think I'm seeing more of is just is just daylight activity with the weather. Yeah, I mean, I, I think. Yeah, it, it's it's been pretty good. I mean,
3: well, that you know that kind of that kind of brings up an interesting something that's that's interesting to me and i always kind of ponder this you know people debate um camp talk debate a lot about what brings on the rut you know what kicks the rut off and so you've got factors like full moon phases or moon phases um having something to do with the amount of light that yeah what do they call it i can't think of the name of it now but it's something to do with the amount of light that a deer is getting in day that triggers estrus with those. and then you know everybody seems to you know you're looking for that kind of that window where you're used to seeing rut activity in your area and then you're trying to triangulate that with a weather front and so I think it gets passed off in general conversation a lot of times, like that cold front's going to really get get them, get the rut going. And we even said that in Kansas. We just kept hoping for a, a cold front or, or wishing we could stay long enough because um, they got a hell of a one the day after we left. But, um, <laughs> That's you know,
1: it's got to be wide open right now.
3: But I think if you look at what's going on, and maybe i'm just saying the obvious or maybe i'm 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 just picking it apart but it it, it to what to to what you just said colin is it really changing the est- the, the actual estrus cycle that brings on the rut or is it just making the deer more active so you're seeing that progressive change in their in their behavior you're able to see it because the deer are moving more you know I mean, is it you know? I mean, does a buck or a doe either player in the in the in the in the in the equation? Does a does a cold weather front actually physiologically, biologically, get them going, or does it just get them up on their feet so they're interacting with each other? You're seeing their activity more, and so therefore you're actually witnessing what you normally don't see from nocturnal deer. What's your opinion? A little bit of both. What do you think, Levi?
4: Hey, it's Brian Chamberlain with Movement Mortgage. We're happy to be back for our second year supporting Louisiana Bowhunter. Just want to let you know that we're here for all of your mortgage needs, whether it's a purchase, a refinance,
0: a renovation loan, or to take equity out of your home. We're also an equal opportunity lender, so whether you shoot a crossbow, a compound bow, a fixed blade, or an expandable, we're here
4: for all of your mortgage needs. You can reach us at 504-228-3780 or at chamberlainteam at movement.com. Movement Mortgage, NMLS number 39179, Brian Chamberlain, NMLS number 114586, licensed in Louisiana, Texas, Mississippi, and Florida. I don't know. It's, I mean, you hear people say that, you know, the ruts, you know, based on the moon or whatever, but as far as, it's, it's no secret. And I actually read an article, I guess last year, that the MSU Deer Lab put out. It was an article, or like a Facebook post, or something that stated that they had no correlation between weather and deer movement. Like, they, and I had a lot of questions about this because they stated that they had all these deer collared or whatever, and they tracked all their movements and they couldn't find a pattern with, you know, with cold fronts or high pressure systems getting deer up on their feet more. But I had a, the main question I had about all that, that, you know, and this is, this is kind of a dumb comparison and y'all may laugh at this, but like when, when, when us as human beings get out, you just say it's, you know, it's kind of a crappy day. It's real cloudy. It's, you know, hot for the fall or whatever. You know, people tend to kind of like lay around, you know, they're, if you go out like in the summertime or in the springtime when it's real pretty outside, you know, people tend to be more active. Now, I'm not saying deer and humans are exactly right, but I think, I, I, cause I kept up with weather patterns and how many deer I saw for, uh, I did it for probably eight to 10 years. Probably every time I hunted, I would write down the barometric pressure, the moon, the wind, wind speed, the average temperatures for that day, what the actual temperatures were for that day. And I can I will argue until I'm blue in the face that cold weather or high pressure systems gets deer up on their feet every time.
1: Yeah. That's I, that's what I would have said too. I find it interesting that they said it doesn't have any yeah. correlation. But, I'm like, but,
4: but my argument to that is, is yeah, I'm sure they get up, they have to get up and move around and eat. Yeah. They're going to, it doesn't matter. I mean, that's like all of us, you know, you're not going to, stay in your bedroom all day just because it's cloudy outside. You've got to go out and get something to eat.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, even if you do lay around on the couch or lay around in the bed and watch TV all day, you're going to get up and go to the bathroom, go to the kitchen, you know.
4: Exactly.
3: I mean, you're not – you, but, I mean, that's kind of a good – what I was going to say about that. First of all, from time to time, I hear about um, studies, scientific, biological – Uh, you know biology um different places msu is one of the common ones that don't make a lot of sense to me from the real world experience that i've had and that i have heard from people that i've hunted with and you know whatever my whole life they just don't make sense and it calls into question like what real world variables is there study not not taking it into account because i'm i'm with colin i just find that hard to believe because i don't think i could ask anyone that, that 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 i would you know find myself in this conversation with who would agree or disagree with the idea that cold weather and high pressure systems you catch more fish You hear more turkeys, you see more deer, everything. I mean, the the woods come to life on days like that. And I think, you know, the the human example that we were just talking about lends itself to an interesting point. Maybe the variable that they're not figuring into that is, yeah, they get up, but do they get up and walk a 50-yard circle and lay back down? Exactly. and i mean are they ca- are they calculating any pattern to the movement okay so and i and here i am kind of assuming without knowing what's in that study but you know are they saying okay the deer got up and he physically got up a radio collared animal he physically got up and moved on average within the same amount of times on this day as he did this day But are they calculating the distance he traveled, you know, or any pattern to that movement? Because that deer could stay in a 25-acre thicket and change beds four different times but just, you know, not move around. But, you know, and then on the high-pressure day, he gets up and ventures, actually moves twice as far and beds in a whole other location during the middle of the morning or something my and my point about the rut is if there's any truth to that well then if a buck is you we all know you know generally what the idea the concept behind the rut is with the bucks and the does so you know if you, you know if you've hunted for any amount of time you know that when we get to that period of time the bucks are Keeping tabs with the does, they're staying downwind of them. They're, you know, they're all they're pretty much always right there, close, you know. And at some point, they actually make themselves visible because things get going to the point that they just can't help themselves and they actually, you know, pursue the doe. But they kind of hang around them. So if the does aren't moving much and they're staying, and the bucks are bedded in that area. Yeah. well then I to go move, you're seeing no rut activity they don't have to check scrapes they know where the does are and they're not going very far then you get a cold front and those does are up making a huge loop around their home area feeding you know getting up moving around because of the cold weather because of the high pressure because of everything and now all of a sudden the bucks are losing track with where the does are and they're having to cruise around and find them that seems like the ob- uh, the logical it seems like a logical deduction Of the whole thing.
4: and, And to add to that, like, and I'm sure most people wouldn't. And everybody's got their opinion. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. I would imagine most people probably wouldn't argue the other side of the spectrum on the weather for movement of deer. But if anybody out there that's listening does, I would challenge you to sit over like we've got some food plots on our property like that we never hunt they're there strictly for the deer to eat out of and you know on a on a bluebird afternoon in december with the highs in the in the low 50s bluebird day Zero cloud cover, I almost guarantee you every time you drive by that food pot, you will see deer out in that in those food pots. Well,
3: for people that hunt food plots and feeders and corn piles and, mm-hmm. and food source that even a natural food source, if you hunt them regularly, early in the fall, when you have warm days, your hunt is based around like those last thirty, forty five minutes. That's when the deer are coming there. But then you get a cold front. And it's fifty-five degrees at three o'clock in the afternoon, and you got a little north wind blowing and a high pressure, and the first deer shows up to feed at four thirty
4: or three thirty. It happens all
3: the time, and you've been hunting. You know, it's probably not that uncommon amongst you know a, a big proportion of of our listeners. You got your hunting. Imagine your hunting lease environment where you've only really got access to. A handful of stands or it's pine ticket where you don't really have a lot of places to put stands so you're kind of hunting a lot of the same places a lot of the time you know maybe you got three or four stands for different wind but you're still kind of hunting those food source kind of spots and you, you end up hunting them most every weekend in some facet you can't tell me that there's not a trend amongst this weekend it was warm south winds and i saw a handful of deer right at dark But then this next weekend, we got great weather, and I'm running deer off of my corn pile going in to hunt at 3.30 in the afternoon. Whether it's your hunting truck, the side-by-side you're pulling behind your truck, your home, life, business, or farm, Jake Slocum has you covered. Call or text Jake Slocum at American National Insurance at 318-255-0096 today for a free assessment. Jake Slocum, American National Insurance, more than just your insurance provider or as soon as i got in the tree i got those feeding you know early and and deer i mean the deer activity is just different i just i guess circling kind of all the way back around to how this started you know does the cold weather increase the rut and my my final say on that or i say not increase the rut but speed up the rut or anything early with the rut I don't think it does, but I think that deer by nature, the studies going back to the the scientific studies show that as soon as a deer loses its velvet, that its hormones start to change and it starts to go from, you know, kind of basically one animal to the next. It's completely different. And, And they say that that happens, that hormonal change in the deer happens when they lose their velvet. So that says that the bucks are kind of always ready to to, to act this way. It just kind of ramps up and down with doe activity and doe estrus activity. So if you get a cold front right now on November the 13th, you're not used to seeing rut until November the 25th or later, but you get really cold weather on November the 13th, and you've got does up moving all the way up into the mid morning where you haven't had it all year it makes sense that you're at least going to see some young bucks messing with them following them around you know cruising around looking for those does that he's used to you know cuz I, I I just believe they they kind of have a pattern to it you know um i don't know y'all y'all have anything to add
1: no i mean i agree
3: well we're talking about that now because we have officially got to the point in the season where every deer around knows it's hunting season, I'm sure, <laughs> because everybody's in and out of the woods and rifles are not. Well, the single shot rifle that we call a primitive weapon season <laughs> That's opened. <not> primitive. <laughs> the most unprimitive of primitive weapon seasons opened this weekend. And if they didn't know by then, just judging by <laughs> the sounds from my backyard, they know now because it's been. Um, plenty of firepower in the woods now and and so you're kind of like now it's like oh we're we're really seeking the rut to to uh kind of offset the pressure that is uh inevitable once you've had this many days of the season and people in and out um we're gonna we're gonna talk to wade butcher owner of swamp donkey archery and just uh, talk to him a little bit about his season, about his shop, some of the bows that he sells. He sells a brand called Athens Archery that some of you may not be real familiar with, but um, we're going to talk to a little bit about them, so uh, let's go talk to Wade. Hey, guys, hunting season is finally upon us. We're starting to feel some of that fall weather, and if you've had some success or you're expecting to and you're looking for taxidermy work, contact our friend Brian Anders at the Taxidermy Shop. Located at 2582 Highway 48, Liberty, Mississippi. Conveniently located right in between Centerville, Liberty, and Gloucester. Whether you're chasing deer and ducks in the fall, big gobblers in the spring, or you land that trophy fish, give Brian Anders a call at the Taxidermy Shop at 601-248-6945. The Taxidermy Shop is family owned and operated. Not too big, not too small. Offering quality work in a timely manner. Call Brian Anders at the Taxidermy Shop, 601 601- two four eight six nine four five or check them out on Instagram at the Taxidermy Shop. Wade, how's it going, man?
2: Man, going pretty good. Really ain't got no complaints. How you gents doing?
3: We're doing good, buddy. How's your bow season been so far?
2: Uh it's been uh it's been been a struggle, I ain't gonna lie. It's um <laughs> hadn't been the best one, but uh, I guess uh that's that's why they call it hunting and not killing, right?
3: I guess so. Um it helps to have a little killing in there though Kind of makes you feel like you're doing something right at least at least <laughs> yeah. an opportunity at it you know um
2: yes sir for sure
3: we were just having a uh we, we were talking a little bit about weather patterns and we just came back from a, a early november kansas hunt and the weather was really not good for us and we didn't have a great hunt and we were just talking about you know we're having a pretty cool fall actually i'm surprised to hear you're struggling because most people are having a pretty good year down here i think our weather our weather's been pretty good and we got more cold mm-hmm. temperatures this week. We were talking a little yeah, bit about this,
2: this week has definitely uh, has definitely been what we needed for sure.
3: Yeah, um, we were talking a little bit about how weather, specifically colder weather, how it affects rut patterns, or or does it affect rut patterns? Is you know, in kind of our our um, our kind of take on that conversation was that the rut is kind of what it is based off a lot of different factors and the cold and the high pressure systems and, and that come with the cold and all that are really more of a deer movement factor in the whole equation. Yeah. And whereas, yeah. you, know, it's, you know, a 35 degree day doesn't make a deer rut, but a 35 degree day makes a deer move, which allows you to see them act a little bit more naturally. And maybe you're seeing pre rud activity that you're not used to seeing um this time of the year or this early in the year because you don't always get cold temperatures you agree with that
2: yes sir i definitely do
3: what first of all um i mentioned uh as i was bringing you on i mentioned that you're the owner of swamp donkey archery tell people uh where you're located
2: okay um so the the closest uh big town uh for anybody that don't I, i'm out in the sticks to be honest uh, the closest big towns, uh, Shreveport. Uh, so I'm like about halfway between Shreveport and Minden just a little north of the interstate from there. I'm between what they call uh, Dixie Inn and Cotton Valley. So.
3: so what's your what's your typical rut in that area, date date wise?
2: Man, I see like uh, I usually see two uh, two different ones. You know, the the early and the late, and, and it's like it's it's weird. It's like it's kind of the I-20 seems to be, from what I've been seeing, it's kind of like a border there, which is kind of odd. Like my normal rut over the last, uh, man, 15 years has been like last week. It's been like November 6th through the 10th. I have probably, between me and my wife and my kids, we have four deer on the wall that were all killed between November 8th and november 11th i want to say and every one of them were right behind the dough, or was full rut uh glands dark and stinking neck swollen. up um then then i'll have the second one right there around that uh around that uh thanksgiving the week of thanksgiving
3: so we're right like, we're right there on the back side of that first one so have you been yep. seeing that this year
2: um, I didn't see as much rut activity this year early. Like I actually took off, um, Monday and Tuesday from my day job and because that fell right in my dates of when I've been killing all my deer and I did not see there there was no rut activity, no scrapes, no bucks chasing those that i seen like anything. And this week, since we've got the little cool snap, I've seen, i have started to see scrapes coming up. I've seen uh, over the weekend, I've seen two different little bucks chasing doves over this weekend. So. Hmm. So, it was, yeah, which was, you know, kind of strange because it's always been, and it, om- it didn't seem like the temperature really affected them the past previous years, but I did notice, especially on Monday and Tuesday when I was off, it was like dead, nothing. Hmm.
3: Well, um, uh... I, I, we we were in Kansas where mm-hmm. I've killed five, it's either five or six. I I have to I can't remember. It, it's either five or six deer that I've killed in the Midwest. Okay. On November the eighth, over the years. Gotcha. gotcha. And we were there from the uh, we, we we traveled on the second. We were there from the third through the ninth, and we didn't see basically any real rut activity at all uh now it was bad weather i it, you know bad weather for deer hunting anyway um yeah and and so i don't know you know i i mentioned earlier in, in our situation up there um i can't really correlate anything to my local area because down here where we're at in su- southern louisiana mm-hmm. southwest mississippi we don't we don't see rut that early but um yeah. they had a tremendous drought up there all summer long and i can't help but wonder you know does the weather that you have all year or at least spring and summer how does that affect the fall you know does that change the calendar for some of your deer patterns like the rut and all that kind of stuff if if you're in an area where you had an extreme drought all summer long is that going to change your fall calendar you know and and I'm. Wondering, yeah. Is there anything like that happening in your area that 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 could be a correlation?
2: Um, man, that, that's a good point there. Um, the the one thing that I did see different this year, um, I mean, I know we didn't get quite as much rain, but I did see a huge acorn crop this year. It's like the woods is just like every white oak you walk under, like feels like you're walking on ball bearings. You know, they're all over the ground. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if some of my not seeing anything is, or not seeing as much activity is, you know, they're feeding on the acorns more than anything else. And I'm, there's just so many of them, they're not having to move. So I'm wondering if with the point that you're making, uh, if it's a, a real big drought, real bad drought, uh, that affect acorn crop where you were at. I mean, uh.
3: It, it affected the ag which is you know they don't yeah acorn crop is not a huge deal i mean there are where yeah. we're at there are some some acorns uh it's not yeah. quite the prairie country but yeah there was a lot of a lot of insurance crop in that area
2: ah uh, <laughs> gotcha okay i see
3: you I know see. so how pal i mean you, know, you you to i'm not a farmer right so i don't yeah. know but so I go out there and hunt and I'm looking at these cut cornfields and these dried up bean fields and there's still a lot of food, but how palatable is it to the deer if it's been in a drought all summer? Yep. And I don't know. Yep.
2: yep. Yep. Got a
3: good point. So um one of the things I wanted to ask you about, um uh, your I guess kind of your primary line of bows that you sell at Swamp Donkey is, is Athens, correct? Yes, sir. That's it. And I, I don't think that I, I would imagine that there's there's probably more people that listen to this than not that probably haven't heard of Athens or haven't heard much about Athens. So I wanted to give you a minute to just kind of tell us about, you know, Athens bows, um, what they've got out new and, and and stuff like that that's going through your shop.
2: Cool. That'll work. Appreciate that opportunity there, man. I I tell a lot of people that Athens is one of the biggest, um, biggest kept secrets of the archery world and and when i'm saying secret i'm not meaning because nobody talks about it it's because nobody really knows about them down here in the south i think you're know, more up north because they're based out of uh new york uh there there's a lot more dealers and a lot more people that shoot them more up north um i've just been dealing with them for uh four years now and uh you know i've sold a good bit around here so we're Kind of starting to get the word out about them. Um, Athens is a great company. It's still considered what I would consider a smaller company. Um, Real good friends with the owners there. Uh, They're like super high-quality boats. I mean, uh, nice machined aluminum risers, super smooth uh, drawing cams. Their their main lineup that they're selling right now is the Vista series. They have... uh, for for the hunters that like some of the shorter bows they have a, a vista 31 which is a 31 inch axle to axle a vista 33 and a vista 35 uh that's like their uh, bread and butter right now um i'm currently shooting the uh, vista 31 for my hunting bow and i uh, have a vista 35 set up for uh shooting some spots and 3d and stuff like that inside um i mean uh i i there's nothing negative that I can really say about them. I've been shooting since the mid '90s. I have shot all makes, all models. Ever since then, I've put a lot of bows through my hand, and, and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn for myself when I say I seriously say that these are the the best shooting bows I've ever put in my hand. They will they will stand toe to toe to any of the. Um, Major name brands that's out there right now, in my opinion, they're uh, just really good bows. Uh, speed wise, um, they're they're not as fast as some of the speed bows out there. We're looking at IBO, you know, we're looking like that three forty 340 to three forty five range. Um, so I mean, they they got a little bit of speed to them if you want them there, but they're super smooth draw, high let off, uh, adjustable let off between uh, eighty and ninety percent. Uh, A lot of adjustability to it, adjustable draw mods, stuff like that. So, really good stuff. Got poundage ranges anywhere from, uh, I want to say they start at 40 pounds and go all the way up to 80 pounds.
3: So, for people that um, aren't bow junkies like like some of us are, Mm -hmm. uh, think of a one of the bigger brand name bows that you could compare it to it just at least in look feel ergonomic design you know so kind of people can get a picture in their mind of of this product
2: gotcha um if they was to look and shoot like anything that's out there right now i would say uh they resemble more of an elite uh the handle is going to fit your hand a lot like an elite does the, uh the bit smaller grip um, the draw cycle does uh, resemble what I, what the elites do on the draw. Uh, you know, no vibration in the hand, stuff like that. So I, I think that would be a good comparison there. Some of the, some of the elites is uh, really close to what they look like and feel like.
3: Hmm. Well, that, I, I I had the opportunity. Um, to shoot them at the ATA show this year and uh I was impressed as well and I and I agree with yep. you they are they are comparable to an elite if if you were to try to compare them to another brand that, that people may be more familiar with but um but yeah that, I mean that's a um it's an interesting it, it's always interesting to me from a business perspective when you see a company um, and, and we get so tunnel visioned, I guess, into our own little world, like you said, yes, uh, up north that, you know, they're, where they're from, they have a much bigger footprint. Um, you know, when you look at bow hunting and the, the bow hunting industry, um, you got such big players and then you have these other names like Athens and it's, you know, where do they gain yep. traction? It's really cool that, uh, that yep. there's a shop here in Louisiana, uh, focused on one of those other brands and, and that's, uh, that's pretty neat. Yep. Um yep. has there any other been has there been any other trends just that you've seen through the shop this year that may be different from years past and just in in terms of gear that people are buying or kind of trends that are going any any certain direction?
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm seeing a lot of people wanting to go with a little heavier errors, uh a little heavier hunting errors, uh people are starting to dabble into the uh FOC errors and stuff. I've definitely seen more more of that this year than I have in previous years.
3: What? Uh, so we asked this question of a lot of people, and uh, I never remember to to, to to do it early on or anything. But what you, you mentioned, you're shooting the 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 Vista 31. What what is your setup otherwise? What kind of arrows and broadheads and all that? What's your hunting setup?
2: Okay, cool. Uh, so my uh, my Vista 31, I have uh, it set on 35 or <laughs> there we go. Well, I'm on 65 pounds. Uh, I do have it set on 90% let off. Uh, so I'm I'm drawing, of course, 65, and, I, and I'm holding like maybe 7 pounds. I like a real high let off bow. That way, you know, if I have to draw it back and hold it for, you know, two minutes waiting on that old buck to come out from behind the tree that he walked behind, you know, I, I can do it. So uh, I shoot 29-inch draw. My arrows that I'm using this year are the Victory, uh, I think I got the Rips, I want to say. Uh, 340 is fine. Uh, they're 480 grains. I've got a, I I'm want to say, 14% FOC. I calculated it the other day. I can't remember if it's 14 or 12, but it's pretty nice. Um, I'm running... Uh, my primary broadhead that I'm shooting this year is the, uh, Magnus, uh, 125 grain stinger. Uh, good fixed blade. Uh, I got it tuned real good. Flies with my, uh, field tips all the way back to 50 yards. Uh, and I'm shooting, uh, just a tad over 270. Uh, we're shooting about 272, 273. Uh, I think that's a good, that's kind of, um, that's kind of my, my, ballpark that I like to get in, I like to see in that two seventy to two eighty range. If I get way over that, I'll add a little more weight to my era. I'm happy with that two seventy, two eighty uh feet per second range there.
3: I can agree with you there. I, I I like I like some speed, but I do think we get carried away with it a little bit considering yep. Yep. you know, what's effective in, in in real world situation. Well, that, that's yeah, cool. Right that that's cool. It's Cool to learn a little bit about that. Um, yep. <clears throat> Colin, Colin texts me a, a question earlier today, and we wanted to kind of uh, touch on this. It's kind of a, a final final uh, bit of conversation on the pod today. Just uh, a little bit more deer hunting talk. Colin, i to let you kind of introduce this, and and Wade, we're we're all just going to conversate, okay. and you jump right in there if you have something okay. to say as well.
1: Yeah. So it's for, I mean, I kind of thought of it because like Levi had the shooter show up and, but it's really anybody. And it's just like, the general question is like, how do you go after a buck or deer or whatever? Like, and a lot of people are like, I'm going to go at, go in after him or whatever. Well, like, what are you actually doing? Like what's your thought process? So I guess I'll just, ask Levi I guess for this scenario like how are you identifying like where you think he's living is it trail cameras is it like history with your property and deer like how do you go about like how close do you want to push into the deer I mean you kind of ease in you know a little bit at a time
4: or or just stuff like that yeah and I'll start this little conversation off by one good thing about, you know, typically when you're kind of dead set on targeting a specific deer that he's probably at least four and a half years old, sometimes three, you know, some people don't mind shooting three year olds and I'm not judging anybody for that. But, uh, you know, typically it's a deer that you've, you've seen or had pictures of for a couple years. So you've, kind of general have a general idea about where he possibly could be um that spot that i've got those two shooters on camera last weekend and got one of them saturday afternoon uh it is a spot that traditionally there's always a mature deer in there i've for as long as we've hunted that place, as long as you don't go in there and stomp around and and all that, or even put cameras out all around this kind of thicket and just leave them alone. They're in there. I've got one camera in there on the West side of that thicket. And I just, they constantly, you, you see them every year coming in and out of that thicket every year. But uh, yeah, if, If I'm after a particular deer and just say, all right, just say he's five and a half and I've had pictures of him for, I typically start keeping up with a deer when he turns three. I don't really, I'm not really interested in a two-year-old per se, but if I see a deer that's three years old, I'll start kind of taking note of him. I'll save some pictures of him, where they're at, where the pictures were, you know, what time the pictures were, you know, if they were at midnight or were they at, you know, right at daylight in the mornings, you know, you can kind of make a good guess. If you're seeing him, if you're getting him on camera, you know, either in daylight in the afternoons or right before daylight in the mornings, you can probably best bet. He's probably pretty close somewhere right there at that time of the year. And, I'm a big, I'm a big believer, and this isn't something that I've learned. I taught myself. Mark Drury was the first person I ever heard say it. That as long as you're not really disturbing a particular deer, they tend to show up in the same general area, given a particular time of the year, whether it be pre-rut or early season. That, and I know that's not always the case. We do hunt in Louisiana, so our deer down here are freaking psychos. But <laughs> uh, I have had some success the past couple years of keying in on okay, all right, this deer got a picture of him in October at this particular spot, and into November, here he is again. And he may be half a mile or a mile from that one spot that I get him in October, but set a camera up there. That's how I killed a deer in January two years ago. That was kind of like that where I originally got pictures of him was probably about a mile from where I ended up killing him, but saw him, saw him three separate times in daylight and just moving trees around just to get where I could get a shot at him. But it's a, it's a big deal keeping up with inventory of pictures. And a lot of times, this it's kind of like uh, everybody's... <laughs> I see it all the time online that, you know, somebody gets a picture of a deer at midnight and they say, oh, all my deer are nocturnal. I'm not a huge believer in that. I know deer can can go nocturnal, but you got to think, too, that it's been dark for you know, this time of year, it's been dark for five or six hours, that deer could be coming from a mile, half a mile. If he's got a good travel corridor through a thick part of your property, he could be coming a lot. He can travel a long way in five hours. And if you're consistently getting pictures of him at midnight or all throughout the year, I'm betting that deer is probably coming from a long way and you either need to move your setup. Or move some cameras around to see if you can pick him up elsewhere. So,
3: so take the same scenario, um, or not scenario, but just take the same question and apply it to uh, a different set of circumstances. Where, let's say, you're hunting a piece of property. Because I agree with you in the in, in the historical uh, factors. I mean, if you,
1: I think that's like a huge like benefit.
3: Yeah, if you've been hunting a place for a long time you kind of know where your mature deer and your buck activity is going to show up at what times of the year i mean it, it, it it's pretty as long as there's not dramatic change on the property um you can count on a lot of that and if you're wise about how you approach your hunting you know you can take advantage of that um i i killed a deer on my property here um well, it's the deer that people have heard about on the podcast numerous times that went in the lake. Um, I took his picture for the first time on July 4th in velvet on the far northwest corner of our property, and I took his picture a lot over there at a corn feeder, uh, summer kind of summer feeding type pattern situation with another deer and i and then in, in september he disappeared and i knew where he was going to show up and i started running cameras over there and sure enough i started getting this picture very very infrequently but i got his picture enough to know that he had changed just like they always do he was bigger than the other deer that i had hunted on this property but nevertheless just because he had bigger horns didn't mean he wasn't the same kind of animal you know age-wise environmentally speaking he lives in the same place and i ended up killing him over this this one area where they always end up they always end up there when they're rutting and that's where he was um but going back to what i was saying if you take this same situation for someone who's let's say they've got a new piece of property this is the first year they've ever hunted it or they're hunting somewhere and they have they're on like a one-week hunt or something, something where they don't have that, and and maybe they don't even have the ability to sit and wait. Like they're like, you know, I saw this big deer crossing the road, and I've only got one camera, and I've only got a limited, you know, limited access to all this. And I've seen this deer; I know he's there, but you know, the constraints are such that I I I can't rely on his history um to say he's going to be here in a month i might be not i maybe i'm not going to be here in a month or whatever the case is how do you strategize for kind of giving it your best effort to get on that deer and figure out okay i've got this one picture or i saw this deer one time from the stand or, or crossing the road going in and out or something you know now i've gone in there and i've scouted i see what's good and what's bad about this area now how do i figure him out you know um what does that situation look like? You know, and um, what of any any of you that have a comment there? I, you know, how do you? What do you advise someone to 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 go after? Because I'll say this too: before I turn that completely over to to any opinions, I spent an inordinate amount of time several years ago making fun of someone in private, but nevertheless making fun of someone <laughs> that I hunted with one time who in good fun had it, was me. it wasn't you um uh, it was someone who you know like got all fired up at deer camp like let's go after them and i'm like what do you mean by that like are we gonna strap on our freaking riot gear and just go plunge down through the woods and just go freaking flush them out and shoot them all like we're bow hunting here man you know like like when you, you know, the, 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 I guess the kind of the genesis of my, of my, of my making fun was like, that's such a dumbass statement when you have no plan, your, your plan is to go sit in the stand. That's your plan. Like,
1: yeah.
3: you know. You, you, like it, it's like it's like we're all been sitting around the freaking strategy table getting ready to go to battle, and we've we've got it nailed out. We got our battle plans ready, and we're all beating our chests and we're fixing to go rush through the door and go f some people up. You know, it was like that, and I'm like, you, you have no plan. Your plan is to go sit wherever the outfitter told you to sit, and just sit there as long as you can and hope a deer walks by. So, what are you exactly going after? <laughs> you know, but but to to that point, like. If you are in that situation where you have limited access or you have no history um, or whatever, I mean, what kind of plan can you make? How can you try to give it your best effort to not just go can't kill them from the couch strategy and actually have some plan, whether it works or not, have some plan to try to be successful and, and do something that is at least calculated in some way to give yourself a chance?
4: I'm, me personally, if I'm going to a piece of property that I've never hunted before, obviously you'll look at it on base map or Onyx or Google Earth first. But the very first thing I'm doing, if if I got time to scout it out or whatever, first thing I'm doing is going and walking the property and looking for the absolute thickest and nastiest place on the property. And finding that place, and I guess kind of trying to figure out how to access or where to, what side of that area to hunt, uh, how to access it on particular wind directions. That's that would be kind of my so your first thing to go do. So you're kind of breaking it down as like.
1: You go find that area, and then that's like your your starting point. So then you're like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm just gonna pretend that the deer is in here and figure out how to hunt this, and then go from there. That's how you're kind of like working into
4: it. Yeah, because and you know you may just say you're just say it's like a I don't know, say eighty or hundred acres and. Down in the middle of it, there's a big swamp that's nasty thick, that's 100% probably is the main bedding area for the deer that hunt that, that use that property. Um, Probably the first couple sits, I'd probably sit kind of, I mean, this isn't new information to a lot of people that hunt, but I'd probably sit, you know, you know, maybe 100, 150 yards from it, maybe the first couple hunts, and just kind of. Where you can sit back and see maybe more area, not just go plunge right in there where you can't see anything. Uh, I'm I tend to be not aggressive as far as like the first couple hunts that I go hunt a new piece of property or a new area or whatever. But even if
3: you've seen if the I, deer, let's just say if I let's just say you go to that new piece of property and you're mm-hmm. walking the west side, you know and you don't really spook the deer you just see a target buck feeding through the bottom or something and and you make note of you know what the wind situation was what the everything was where do you go from there now you've seen this Uh, deer you kind of have some idea at least of what he was doing at that time on that day in those conditions and now you've got uh, that much at your disposal where do you go from there
4: well, if you're if you're hunting in Louisiana and you go wander on a property and you see a shooter like that walk around in the daytime, the first thing you do is go to the gas station and buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> so yeah. that'd be the first thing you do. Number two, you better try to kill him right there. Yeah, you Chase try him
2: it. down and go after him. <laughs>
4: Chase down going after a, him your pocket knife or whatever you got on you. Yeah. Because uh um I don't, the first, I mean, obviously you would say, you know, all right, what time of year is it? What's he doing? Is he eating acorns? Is he cruising? Is it during the rut? Which direction is he heading? The wind. And that goes back to, to property knowledge. Like, okay, he's walking through this bottom, but where is he coming from? Is there a, is there a thicket where he came from? Could he be bedded in there? Where do the does like to hang out? There's all kind of scenarios and questions. But if you don't know any of that, I mean, and you see that deer walking through that bottom at two o'clock in the afternoon, I mean, why wouldn't you go sit up on that little bottom on on the same wind direction to see if you could catch him? I mean, that's kind of the best information you have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess you'd think maybe he's, if it's like midday or early, maybe he's kind of living close to that could be yeah and he's probably not pressured at all if he's doing that
3: well i mean i mean that's probably not a likely scenario that i gave so how about the (laughs) how about this scenario then you're driving into the location and the deer just runs across the road in front of in front of you so now you don't know was he bedded right by the road and i just jumped him up was he crossing the road to go from bed to bed? Was he feeding in this area, and I spooked him across the road? I don't know. I just know I saw a big buck jump across the road, and I know which direction he went.
1: Pick a side. <laughs> 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 but, I mean, I think – if I mean, if you made the decision right there that, okay, I'm going to go after this deer, I mean, you got to get out and go look around. I mean – Maybe yeah. don't go in where he's going and like keep nudging him, but you could go in the other way where he came from. Yeah. See and then
3: I, I think the most likely I think the most likely scenario that people would would um resonate with in this is you get access to hunt a piece of property, a new lease or somebody gave you permission or something, and you go in there and you throw a back horn out and you put a camera up and you get a picture of an ice buck. I don't know anything, anything well. about this property. I just know that there's a good buck and i want to hunt him now what do i do you know and i think the mistake that a lot of people make is they try to get in a hurry and they try to just they just camp out on that camera well he was here so let me just but you know and maybe that works if you know if, if 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 you just this this whole scenario plays out where he's in a pattern and okay well i know which way he approached the camera so i'm gonna get on the downwind side and you know i'm good and he comes back and you kill him right off the bat but what if you don't and now it's like i get a picture of him every now and then sometimes in shooting light sometimes not i don't really know like how do you figure him out you know without the without the luxury of the history um you know, th- those kind of things are probably, I think, a more likely scenario for the majority of people. Um, yep. and, and I would say that, I, that. I would say that in, in observation sits, uh, you know, strategic observation, set, being willing to hunt without expecting to kill a deer, which is hard for a lot of people because, you know, you work all week, you only get the weekends. I'm trying to make the most. I'm trying to make my highest percentage hunts every time I hunt because I only get so many of them. But being willing to go and sit somewhere with no expectation of shooting something, and really maybe not any expectation of seeing that deer, but maybe seeing other deer movement that gives you a little bit, uh, just one more little piece of a puzzle, you know, that that ends up coming together down the road somehow. And I, I, I just think that in this whole scenario, Colin, that you're that you're presenting is unless you have really, really concrete, and it would never be concrete, but just really, really strong historical evidence to give you um, you know, that data to lean on, you just got to be patient because, like you said, Kyle, uh, Levi, in this scenario, regardless of what this scenario is, most likely it's whether it's a three-year-old and that's your – your age structure or it's an, it's probably this target animal we're talking about. It's probably a larger deer, an older, smarter deer. That's the one that people are, are after because they've, you know, it's catching their eye or whatever. And if that's the case, you can, you can, you can make it almost impossible to kill him by doing some things the wrong way.
4: Yeah.
1: I mean, if he's, you know, he's an older deer, he, he knows what will work for him. You know where, if 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 it's a lease and you hunt, this is where you hunt. He knows, they know where you hunt at, and where yeah, you frequent and all that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think, like you were kind of saying with the observation, you have to be willing to like. You know, you can check some areas off as this ain't the spot, and that can be just as good as okay, this is the spot that he's at.
3: Wade. Um, answer me this since you okay. since since you're just uh so talkative
2: yeah <laughs> just <messing laughs> hey, i'm just trying to learn man i'm just trying to learn <laughs> i'm just
3: messing with you bro um do you buy into i've heard uh, you know i've heard lots of old men at hunting camps in my day tell me you know that buck knows every time you come and go he knows where you're at He he you know basically like he knows every time you're here you buy yeah. into that
2: Man, um, I think if if you are uh, doing most of your traversing in and out to your stands or whatever close to his bedding or close to his pri- primary area, yeah, I think he knows every time you're in and out of there. Um, I do think some of that would be a little bit of a old lifestyle, but um, I-, I think a lot of that is kind of, uh, you know, you might, his bedding area might just be, you know, 50 yards off the road that you don't even think about, you know, when you drive in. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think a a good buck that's up close to you is definitely going to know when you're in and out. Um, like I've, I've heard several people say, you know, a mature buck is a, a one cent animal. You know, he, all he needs to do is see you smell you or hear you. And, uh, he's done. He's gone. He knows you're there. So, that's kind of my uh, opinion on that.
3: I just, I think that in the context of, of what I was what I was saying, uh, people, I think people tend to give deer, and this is going to be kind of a controversial way of saying this, but I think yeah. people give deer a little bit too much credit in some cases. I mean, yeah. they can't think cognitively like a human. Now, yeah. if, and, and in my experience, especially in the south, in Louisiana, if that deer really was that keen, we'd never kill him, ever.
2: That's right, 100%. I,
3: I mean, that, that like you said, the deer is a one-cent animal, and if he is so smart that he knows every time you're there, I mean, obviously, if he's bedding somewhere you're not expecting and you're getting right up on close, I'm, I'm, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about mm-hmm. these people that just think that, you know, he hears the truck going down the road and knows you're here. Not, no, I mean, he hears, hear, yeah, he hears no, trucks yeah. go down the road all the time,
2: exactly, you know. Exactly, yeah. And, and kind of a, a touching on a different subject on talking about trucks and people saying, you know, how, you know, oh, man, you drove by my stand, you messed me up. You know, I, I work in a oil field, natural gas field, you know, during the day, and uh, I drive by people's deer stands all the time, run deer out from under their feet or, you know, most of the time they just, look at you when you drive by you know there there's a lot of areas that do have a lot of uh you know work related roads to go through it that i don't think the deer nowadays are bothered by the vehicles a lot of times so i, I just, just wanted to kind of kind of throw that one in there <laughs> I, I
3: think that you obviously if you get in close enough to any deer but specifically a more mature doe buck whatever yep. and and it sees you or it smells you then that's an obvious, but I think that um like I said, hunting in the south my whole life yeah. my my yeah. if they were as keen as as some of the wives tells as you put it, yeah. you know Linda to yeah. be we would never kill them because you yeah. uh, you said it well they're a one cent animal, and as soon as they know, they're not just going to decide, well you know I smelt that dude, but uh, I'm gonna go eat some of that corn anyway like yeah, uh-huh. they just don't do that. <laughs> that's
2: right
3: <laughs> you know i know he's in here today he comes in here every day and i know he's in here but i'm just hungry i mean shit i just gotta eat like they just don't do that yep. you know um they
0: yeah,
2: may they may uh-huh. do
3: a little bit of that during the rut a little bit of kind of caution to the wind but um even then you, you know the if the dough spooks yep. it, it just I, I just think that um you can get away like I I'm 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 correlating this to the conversation in that you can get away with some stuff yeah. if you're if you're wise about it and, and 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 willing to be patient. You know, you don't have to feel like, well crap, I've been, I done hunted this spot. I saw him and he ran off, so I better get on him and kill him quick. Mm-hmm. He knows I'm here, you know. I I I just I think there's he you know, like Levi said he may not necessarily be nocturnal. He just ain't passing in front of your camera in the daylight. You know that sounds like a real right. plain logical way to say it, but it's it it there there's a lot of validity to that. It, he he may not necessarily be nocturnal. You just haven't done anything to to disprove that theory other than just take his picture in front of that one camera. And what he has proven to you is he comes and eats at that corn at night. That don't mean that's all he does. Right. You know, so. I don't. I don't think there's 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 not an answer.
1: Yeah. And to, like to add on to that, like we're talking about, like how do you go after him or whatever? Well, if he's eating at your corn pile at midnight every night, that, to me that's that's a pretty good like area that to not hunt at because <laughs> he's obviously not there in the daylight. So yeah. you yep. <laughs> see where he's coming from or where he's going, and then go from there. I mean, don't just sit there and be like oh hopefully he messes up today you know
3: yeah well i think that's the that's a very common hunting strategy we throw a dart at a map yeah. board and we go sit there and hope that they mess up in that spot on that day and um i mean that's you know a lot of times that's
1: hopefully they smelled you but still wanted to come into the corn yeah
3: today yeah <laughs> yeah well i mean a lot of times that's just kind of what you're left with when you're you know you have a diverse group of people accessing the same property and uh, freedom to go about it and do it however they choose then um you know you're limited and i mean i and i'm sympathetic to that i've hunted in that situation too but um you know it becomes a really hard i don't think there's really an answer there's a lot of ways I, the only thing i would say you know, to wrap the conversation up is just, just be, I, I just don't like hunting without a plan. Like I'd rather not hunt Like aside from, aside from the success fail ratio that I would attach to it completely aside from whether I think I can be successful or not. Like I really, it's hard for me. I, this, you remember the 20-foot-closer-to-God uh, conversation that we had earlier? <laughs> I'm not going to get into that because people are going to get mad at me. But I just, that, like, I, I if it's a Sunday afternoon and I have no plan, then I'll just watch the 3 o'clock NFL football game. Because I just, you know, I, I find it hard. I find it difficult to be motivated but i also think that i have proven to myself over the years that i'm i'm potentially doing more harm than good by just going and sitting in the woods and being 20 foot closer to god
4: i'll yep. go uh i'll go grab. if i don't have a good plan i'll just go grab my stand and go sit in the yard because i'm going hunting <laughs> <laughs>
1: well That's just. Me. i mean it's it's like what we said it kind of we were talking about in kansas like like when you go out you know like with the plan like are you hunting because you think you're in the game or are you hunting just to try to get lucky yeah and i've and gotten
3: there's... i've gotten weary of of making of being able to make myself sit there if i feel like i'm hunting just to be lucky right and i think that the the moral of that story for me is that i do the amount of work that i do all year long so i presented that as though it's a regular occurrence for me it's not a regular occurrence for me because i do a lot of work to make sure that when i do want to get up and go hunting i have some idea what's going on and i'm not just busting up in somewhere hoping a deer comes and shows up against its nature and that I get lucky, I'm, 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 I'm pretty much always have a plan if I choose to go hunting, and I, I've set myself up for that, and I think if you hunt that way, you can, I can't give you the exact answer to the conversation, you know, that we're having, because every scenario is so drastically different, um, can be so drastically different, but if you hunt that, if you do that amount of work, if you put that amount of effort into your hunting, um, you'll be able to figure it out. You'll at least be able to give yourself a fighting chance at having a plan to, to, uh, to do something. If all you ever do is show up to the camp, cook out, drink beer, and then go sit over the same food plot or the same corn feeder every day and you have no idea what the rest of the deer are doing all around your property and you do see that deer jump across the road on your way in from your morning hunt, you're not going to have a damn clue how to hunt him and you're probably going to go bust him up and run him over onto the neighbors so the neighbor can kill him. You know, but if you're, you know, if if you do a little bit more in the way of observation sits and pre-planning and scouting and stuff like that, then you you see that deer and all of a sudden your mind starts racing towards all the things you've done previously. Even if it's your first year on a place, all the stuff you've done previously that, could, that you can pull from to try to develop a plan of how to go after him. You know, that's kind of my final say on it. Yep so well we're uh running short on time sorry that we're late on on this this episode but uh um we are hunters and we do hunt so sometimes our schedule gets all messed up wade thank you for jumping on i know we didn't have a big long conversation but i'm glad to uh be able to share with people about athens and swamp donkey and what you're doing encourage people to to look you up tell people how they can uh, look you up and get in touch with you if they want to check you out
2: yeah yeah the uh easiest way to get in touch with me is my website uh swamp donkey and of course uh anybody's facebook savvy i'm on facebook too you can look me up there uh all my contact info is on my website uh it's got a link to all my social medias from there my youtube as well so uh be happy to answer any questions anybody has um also another thing i do is uh i am a archery coach as well so if anybody got any uh man you got any uh tips or hints or something to help me shoot a little better I don't mind answering those either so
3: I want to I'm I'm glad you mentioned YouTube because I I did want to make sure I didn't forget to encourage people to go look you up on YouTube because Wade does a lot of um just informative things around his shop where he uh you know talks about uh different products and things that he's doing in the shop and pretty entertaining and and spends a lot of time He do a good job with that i think people that like uh getting archery tips and watching bow builds and different things like that would would really enjoy your youtube channel so i encourage people to go check that out um
2: i appreciate that and appreciate y'all bringing me on it was enjoyable for
0: sure
3: yeah man well, look, everybody, I want to remind you we're giving away a Buzzard Bruce saddle for our gear giveaway in November. So every order placed at LouisianaBowHunter.com gets entered into the drawing on December the 1st. So every order in the month of November will be in the drawing. And if you order more than once in November, uh, you'll get entered multiple times in the drawing. We gave away a Scree grid light jacket and a Louisiana Bowhunter hat to uh, Lyndon from, uh, oh, I shouldn't even said that because now I can't remember. Linden. Linden won it. I <laughs> can't remember where he's from now. Um, stuck my foot in my mouth there. But uh, that was our October giveaway. We're going to give away a huge prize package to our film festival winner at the end of the year. So I hope you got your cameras out, you're filming your hunts, getting ready to put something together to submit to that. We'll be giving more information towards the end of the year on how to submit. And um, you can go look up a previous podcast episode with Hunter Brown where we talked all about the uh, the regulations and rules for that. And um, other than that, we got some new hats coming out here in the next couple of weeks. I've been saying the next couple of weeks for a couple of weeks, but I think we are finally in production. We'll have that out. Um, If you got a store in your area that's running low on inventory or doesn't have Louisiana Bowhunter stuff, let us know. We'd love to get some on the shelf. And uh, if you don't, just go to uh, LouisianaBowhunter.com. You'll get entered in the gear giveaway. So we will talk to you later this week. Thank you so much for being patient with us, and thanks so much for listening.